This is the Spark Podcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Alison Snowden and David Fine have spent over 30 years together as both creative and life partners. The pair have numerous awards under their belt, including an Oscar, and have created a number of iconic properties, including Bob and Margaret and the wildly successful Shaun the Sheep. I recently had a chance to speak with the creators about sharing work and home life, their creative process, and I found out who was better at staying on task. Did you always want to be an artist? I think I was an artist by process of elimination because I wasn't very good at anything else at school, (laughs) apparently, except for English and art. Um, And I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And football, right? No, I liked watching football back then. I could do a little bit of football. Um, So that was the thing that my, my dad or whatever thought I was good at. Um, and so, yeah, I stuck to it, really. And I kind of, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I actually started um, in mostly in, in well, in, in any kind of filmmaking. So I had a camera and I made live action films and I did animation because you could control everything. And I got into model animation. Most of my early work was actually plasticine animation. And um, when I went to film school in England where I met Allison... We both studied in live action, and of the four years we were at the National Film and Television School, our films were live action, except at the very end when um, Allison made a film called Second Class Mail that I worked on with her, um, and that actually ended up having more kind of success than our live action film. So it sort of pushed us into that direction. So we had a background in animation, but we also... We're just interested, I think, in storytelling and filmmaking generally. Well, that's really interesting. I didn't actually realize that you had started by making live action films. Was the success of the animated project what propelled you to keep making animation? Or did you want to stay making uh, live action projects? Well, you think so. But we kept saying, oh, we really want to do live action. Because for some reason, we had it in our heads. That's real filmmaking. And it and I think we kept thinking that until um, it's jumping ahead. But when we when we saw the big snit and the Simpsons and thought, oh, we'll try, you know, we'll try a film with actual dialogue and conversations. After that, then that's when then we we didn't really look back because we felt then that we were, it was proper, you know, we were writing proper scripts and using a lot of our knowledge in a way that we'd learned at film school and and uh was more satisfying i think the like the background in live action and i'd also done a fair bit of documentary too it all it all informed us for um thinking about the way we make films and uh you know apply that to animation character story and our, our animation tends to be more narrative and traditional than a lot of other stuff um and that's because of our interest in filmmaking in the broad sense. Alison actually mentioned something that I find really interesting, this idea that in your minds, real filmmaking was making live action. And I think that's interesting because even today, a lot of people don't take animation seriously. They still think that it's this thing that it's for just for kids. I'm curious what kind of mental shift you had to do uh, in order to allow yourselves to 
take on animation as something serious that you could do long term that could be your career? Yeah, um, you know, as I say, because we studied in live action, both of us, and then accidentally did animation in a way, that I think that's why we, we sort of straddled both worlds. And we, we did do some, some live action work at the National Film Board as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we just found our comfort zone in animation and eventually said, you know, it's okay to do this and just to say this is what we do. Um, and, and I think... Um you know what we really like is you know writing about characters telling stories uh, narrative work we work i mean not that we don't um put a lot of thought into the design and the artwork but we always think our strength is more in the writing and the characters so there you know that's why once we were writing uh scripts we made um bob's birthday um, you know, that was more true to how we like to express ourselves. I'm always really curious to find out how artists make the decision to be artists for a living. It sounds like such a scary thing. You graduate from school, you have all this training, you have made perhaps this film. In your case, you have a couple of projects under your belt, one that's fairly successful. But how do you make the leap of having done this thing in school and jumping headfirst into it as a career, not really knowing whether you're going to be able to make anything out of it, whether it's going to be successful. Like, how do you, how did you make that, that, that jump? I, I think that we had low expectations in terms of income and lifestyle back then. <laughs> Our priority really was to be, you know, um, filmmakers, I suppose. And so that drove us, um, you know, gave us a lot of motivation. And we did live very humbly for many years, actually. Um, and we just thought that's the way it's always going to be. Um, we finished the film at film school, and that actually led to an opportunity at the National Film Board because we moved from England back to Canada. Um, I say back for me. Because uh, I'd been living in a bedsit in London, and and I was kind of a bit homesick, so Alison kindly agreed to come to Canada with me. Or I can't remember. Did I force you? Um, I, yeah, <laughs> I lost the coin toss. <laughs> and, and so, uh, uh, it, with no disrespect, no to Canada. disrespect. It all worked out very well. <laughs> but we worked at the National Film Board, and uh, that that. Um, commission was inspired by second class mail so it literally it was one thing leading to another because second class mail was about um an old lady lonely old lady that is looking for mail order love and uh producer Eunice McCauley at the National Film Board wanted to do a, a commission of film about um films that relate to elderly people and so she saw that and thought you guys would be perfect so we wrote George and Rosemary and made that in Montreal at the NFB um, and then we had a lot of friends. When we went to film school, uh, although we were studying live action, we hung around with a lot of um, animators. Uh, our friends, uh, Mark Baker, uh, who, who now makes Peppa Pig, and Nick Park, who everybody knows, um, and Tony Collingwood and Joan Ashworth and other uh, very talented artists uh, at the NFB. Um, sorry, at the National Film School. And... Um, and, and that was inspirational to us. So we kind of were working in live action, hanging around with animators, and it felt natural to continue in that way. And after George and Rosemary, we um, 
we we were interested in in working with Channel Four because they were doing a lot of exciting stuff, animated conversations with Ardman and and uh, Mark Baker was making short films, and so we um, hooked up with Claire Kitson who was commissioning then, and uh, she said she'd love to work with us, and so we moved back to London and made Bob's Birthday with uh, Channel Four. You've been talking a little bit about how these things just kind of happened in your life. You you came from school, you had this opportunity to work at the National Film Board. Uh, and I can't help but think that some of it is chance, of course, right place, right time. But some of it is also uh, having the the wherewithal to put yourself out there to have these opportunities come to you. Um, I'm curious about how you do your networking. Like, do you actively go out searching for work or do you just create friendships and they naturally develop into something more? At the beginning, uh, we mostly networked by going to festivals. That's why we always encourage young people to make any kind of short film, you know, if it's a minute, something something that, you know, shows your talent, your humour or, or your point of view and just so that you can try and get it into festivals and that's where you can meet people because certainly before this virus, that's what everybody did. <laughs> They'd head off to Annecy or any of the many festivals, Ottawa, all of these and, um, and, and, and that's how we really got connections, wasn't it? Yeah, that helped a lot because we hooked up with people. There was a lot of exciting stuff happening in, in animation years back when The Simpsons was just starting. All of a sudden, you know, the, an MTV animation was just starting. And so there was uh, a lot of people hanging around festivals looking for cool new ideas. Um, and of course, Channel 4, as I say. Um, so you met with these people and, and they would ask you to work on something or, or another. And... and um, and yeah, it did. One thing did lead to another, but we didn't market ourselves in any kind of uh, formal or, or uh, you know, slick or aggressive way. Because you know we're animators, so we tend we're to modest. be a little bit can't toot our own horn. Dysfunctional. <laughs> you know. I know nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm always so fascinated by people that work and are together as uh, as a couple. Um, and you guys have been, you know, working together basically since the beginning, since you met in film school. Uh, and I'm really curious about that dynamic because, you know, you, you work together, you're life partners, you have a family together. What does that look like for you? Like, do you work at home? Do you have a studio space that you go to? Um, you know, things can get so testy when you're working in close quarters. And I'm just really curious about how you manage to not only work and live together, but you're so well adjusted. Um. Well, in terms of where we've worked, at the very beginning, we would work in our kitchen when we started making Bob's birthday, I believe, wasn't it? And then we uh, we um, got a small studio, actually with a fantastic address, not a great, a small room, but great address on Carnaby Street. And that way we thought we could do commercials because we'd have a great street address. And that was in Soho in And London. no one came over. So we'd go to see all our clients. So as far as they knew, we had this, you know, we were huge. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we had Lily, our daughter, we uh, got rid of the studio and we actually moved into the loft of our house. Um, and, yeah, I guess we've worked from home ever since, except when we make um, a TV series, we work 
will go and work with an existing company who has all the talent and workforce and everything. So uh, that that way we get out of the house for that year or so. But lately we've been working from home for a long time. Um, we made animal behavior from home entirely. Um, it was produced out of the NFB's Montreal office, but we made it here in Kitsilano in Vancouver. And in terms of our relationship, we, we don't know why it works, but I think we, uh, we do, I mean, we do definitely debate, to put it nicely, you know, over ideas and everything like that. Yeah, we debate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. We just get on with it, really. I think we accept that, that we sometimes think the conflict or the disagreements always will help make something better because you have to fight for your corner. Like, like you have to really believe in an idea in order to, uh, you know, put it well, across. I, I and, think also and we, what, you know, the, t the two points of view brings a positive, you know, and sometimes it's a bit painful to get there because we'll disagree. I'll have some idea that I think is great and Allison won't be as enthusiastic about it and this vice versa as well. Um, but then it challenges me and it makes me think, sure, I got to convince her that it's good or, or okay, maybe it isn't good. I realize that. And she saved me from working on a bad idea. So we're always pushing um, and sometimes there's there's a, a battle and a conflict, and sometimes we you know seek out advice from other f friends and animators that to arbitrate. To, yeah, to <laughs> we won't say whose idea it is. We'll say that we've got two ways of doing this. Which one do you like best? I and mean, then we won't, yeah. We'll I always don't want anyone to know because whose ideas who because I always feel that they'll want to because they like me more. They like because Alison's a more likable person than me. <laughs> Not really, but um, but also I think I think you think oh because you're a couple that's going to be hard working together, but I think any writing partner or creative partners I, I bet they I bet they have a hard time as well. I don't think it's all smooth. The difference is David and I can really tell each other what we think of each other and then make up where it's maybe more difficult if you you know you're just a professional. Working team. But sometimes we find ourselves, you know, expressing our views in such a way that the other will say, you know, you wouldn't talk to someone like that if that if you worked with them in, in, a, in a studio, would you? And we kind of realize, no, we're kind of a bit offhand. So you have to kind of pull yourself back and, and be professional sometimes. I think that ultimately what we like is... You know, if there's problems, which there always is, you know, if you make a series or whatever, it's nice to be able to share that because anyone else goes home to their partner and the partner might look like they're listening, but they're probably not actually probably thinking about what to make for dinner or something because you can't relate to the situation, whereas we both do. Like, it's very critical to both of us. And then at the same time, you know, we when we have... Um, you know, successes or like exciting moments, it's, it's great to share that with each other as we well. We also met at film school working together on projects. Um, we, we helped each other on our films. Um, and so it became natural to kind of work together and have the same interests in film right from the very uh, beginning. And, you know, I think that um, when, when couples aren't used to working together and it's sort of flung upon them, it can be problematic. We actually made a Bob and Margaret episode about that where where Margaret comes into Bob's dental practice to um, 
be his dental assistant, and it goes horribly because they're not used to working together. Bob and Margaret really feels like the kind of show that could only really come from the mind of a couple that work and live together. Um, I just love it. I think it's fantastic. It touches on so many little tidbits, and it feels so authentic. Oh, thanks. You know, it's funny because, because uh, you know, it's about a mundane couple who are bored and don't know what to do them with themselves and have trouble making friends. Where are we going to find inspiration? <laughs> oh, stop it. You're too much. Actually, one of the things that I'm always really curious about is us creators uh, that work in various mediums and like both short films and feature films and television even. How do you decide how a story needs to be told? Like, how do you decide what should become a television series? What would be best as a short film? Is there a process that you go through, like a process of elimination where you kind of uh, work out the pros and cons of each one? Or how does that come together for you? I think, um, you know, if you come up with an idea that you think is funny or a good idea, the idea into itself tells you, oh, you could get a lot out of this. Like, you could make many episodes with this with this concept or you think I can't see that that would you know you would get a lot of stories out of that so but it would make a a very good short film because really it just wants to be that one event and that's about it but you but usually when we set up we, we uh, our idea is never to make a series except when we specifically are trying to think of a series idea like our kids series Ricky Sprocket we were trying <clears throat> really hard to think of yeah, because I was going to say that uh, Bob's birthday was a short film first and, a, and it led to a series, but it wasn't a pilot for a series. We didn't think, let's make this short film and see if we can sort of turn it into a series. It just happened uh, because of a bit of a right place at the right time, yes. I suppose, because The Simpsons was happening and everybody was like, we're looking for another adult show. Oh, Bob's birthday, that would make a but, series. But I remember, because um, Bob's birthday, you know, it got nominated for an Oscar and was doing well. And so we got approached um, because of The Simpsons and other sh shows at that time. You know, people were looking for adult, uh, adult content, adult, you know, adult animation, and uh, we were we were trying to put everybody off because we thought we can't write multiple stories with these characters. It it, it took us probably a year to write this one one script and perfect it for this film. So we did everything to try and put people off. But in the end, we, yeah, we, we were very frightened, but we just sort of jumped in, didn't we? Yes, we did. It, uh, you know, it, it was uh, something we were, as Alison says, we were intimidated by, and we needed to convince ourselves that we were able to do it. And we found that actually writing half-hour scripts, in one sense, was easier than the short 12-minute film, because it's, the one film is so precious and has to be the entire story and the end with a tv series you can kind of do an episode and think well let's go there this time and then let's go there and let's try this and you can be a little bit more free so it, it's less intimidating and gives you a little bit more emotional freedom to but it was very haphazard because we'd had no instruction on how to write a tv a successful tv series and people were saying things like series arcs and all of that we didn't know what they were really talking about so we, Which is why there we is just no ignored it all, and we just wrote really, well, however many, were 13, I think, 13 
uh, really short films, but starring these two characters with the only common thing was they had no friends because they got rid of them all in the short film, Bob's birthday, because he spoke very rudely about them all. And so they were trying to make friends basically all the time or just dealing with their lives as a childless couple. Mm -hmm. But mostly in, in the first 13 half hours... There is no series arc. There's no, nothing they're trying to, to achieve over the course of the whole series. Um, and there are very few repeating characters. We, we've yeah, since learned that you you're not... Yeah, everything you shouldn't do. <laughs> you mentioned that you kind of did everything that you're not supposed to do um, in a TV she series. But do you think sometimes you need to break the rules to be successful? I guess. I mean, we you know, we weren't really too scientific about it. We just felt we have a short film. That's been successful. Let's keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't know what the rules were, so we weren't really trying to break them. We just... And, you know, to, to <laughs> one extent, to, to a certain extent, we were very protective because the film had done really well. And although it was a British-based story, it had done really well in Canada and the U.S. as well. Um, and so when people would ask us, like people, producers that were looking to develop, it would say, well, why don't we make them have a family, you know, because that's more popular or, the, you know, they live uh, in, in the U.S. maybe because that would help us sell it. And we were just very protective and said, people like the short. We want to stick with the themes of the short and we don't want to change anything. Well, we also hadn't got a family and we, we do like... We're not necessarily writing about ourselves when we write these characters, but we're writing from what we observe or our experience. So we weren't really... We, well, we also thought it would look like The Simpsons or everything else. And we thought, well, maybe what people like is that it's, it's, it's what it is and it's a bit different. So we just thought if, if, it, if, we, if it fails and we changed it to please someone else, then we, we would be annoyed. Whereas if we just stick to what we're doing, then we can only be mad at ourselves. Yeah, really. we want it to fail on our terms. <laughs> that actually leads to a really interesting question about um, the push and pull of the industry. Like, how do you create material that's still true to you and the work that you want to do, um, but that is also, in some instances, you need to create work that's commercial because at the end of the day, you still need to pay the bills and you have a home and a family. So how do you... How do you manage uh, those two things? Because they don't always go hand in hand. Well, we waited a long time to have a child. <laughs> yes. Because it was only going to get in the way. A financial cushion. <laughs> um, but so we almost thought, yeah, we, we couldn't afford to have one really with our career. It, was, it wasn't necessarily a, a foregone conclusion. But after the success of Bob's birthday and then all the interest in making a series, that's when we, you know... We, we've had a lot of, you know, very big swings in our uh, career um, where we're really busy and doing quite well and others where, like, months and months and months go by with essentially no income while we're either trying to figure out something else or spending too much time painting bits of our house or who knows what. But it, it seems to have worked. And sometimes, well, quite often... We reflect and go, I don't really, it reminds us of the talking heads, you know, how did we get here? I don't even, <laughs> I don't know sometimes how we got here because we didn't start out with a game plan. And uh, one thing, you know, things fell into place and sometimes there were big, dis big disappointments. It's not all been smooth sailing. 
but uh, we've I had think, some good opportunities, and so I guess, it's worked out. I guess um, we didn't. I mean, we probably did panic, but privately, you know, when we didn't have any work for a while, I think we always kept along the same path, regardless, I suppose, of quiet times and ups and downs. And and we li- we always lived according to our means, which we could do back then. But even with, you know, with animal behavior, the last film we made at the NFB, we, we developed that over, I don't forget, it was like over a year developing it for almost no money because we believed in it and wanted to make it. And, and then um, it was actually rejected by the NFB. And that we were kind of devastated by that because we put so much into it and really believed in the film and really wanted to make it. Uh, but our producer, Michael Fukushima, he really believed in it. So he pushed and pushed to get it through. And um, eventually it did get commissioned and we got to make it. So we're really happy about that. But it's, it's never like, oh, they have this, you know, track record so they can waltz in and just make anything they want. Yeah, and you're only as good as your new idea. Like, having had some success, it doesn't automatically open the door to give you a new opportunity. You, you know, you have to come up with something that people want and... Uh, a strong idea. I'm curious about how you guys start to put together ideas for a new project. Like if you, you, you often have a, a break between your project. Sometimes it's a short time. Sometimes it's a longer period of time. I'm curious about how you start to uh, develop ideas and when you think that a project is kind of ready to, to, to get started. Like, do you keep a book of ideas? Does something happen in your lives that kind of percolates that, you know, you all of a sudden think, yeah, this is a great concept for a new story. How does that work for you? Well, on animal behavior, um, I we weren't really planning on making another short film because it's very hard work over a long period of time. Um, and we were, we'd been doing TV series, so we were more in that mode. Um, but then after our kids' TV series, we, we were sort of thinking, okay, we've done a couple of TV series now, now what? Um, and um, the producer at the National Film Board, Michael Fukushima, he'd been asking us a few times if you want to make a short film. And at first we'd been like, no, I don't think we want to do that route again. But then did have some old notes, you know, in um, that had written down, you know, this this idea about um, that was animal behavior, and thought, oh, okay, you know, that probably could make a good short film. So we were talking about that together, and we then thought it, it would be kind of from there. fun to do. Like we liked relationship stuff, and uh, we liked writing dialogue. And we thought this would be kind of easy because it all takes place in one room. So you just do this simple film with a group of uh, characters in a room. One background, maybe. Yeah, yeah. One, maybe two. And it would be simple, but it... it, um, Yeah, it was the hardest. Because, yeah, yeah, if you've got one room with animals all talking across this circle together of different sizes, then then the storyboarding was really hard. It was for us anyway. You have to do lots of perspective and and keep it interesting because it's really one continuous conversation. There's no cutting, really. I mean, there is some cutting, but it's... Well, no no, no timeline cutting. You can't go to another location. That's right, and you can't really cut chunks out of the script either because it all (coughs) links together. So, So it actually was one of the hardest films we've made. It was the hardest film we made. 
I wanted to find out a little bit about your writing process because animal behavior is like really tight. The script is so tight and so precise. And knowing you both a little bit, it's very clear that these characters have a little bit of your voices. But I'm curious what the writing process looks like for you. Do you each, um, do you write together? Do you do you work on the same project at the same time and add to each other's work? Or do you start with a negative idea, an idea, go off and write separately and then come together and share your notes and work that way? What does the process look like for you guys? I think it looks like all of that, really. Um, we certainly will be working on the basic idea together and then we'll sort of flesh that out together just as, as the concept and then when we get to the actual script writing, uh, we often both have a go at, you know, the beginning or different sections, or we'll talk about it and one person will go write a draft of that section and then the other person will do their draft of it. You know, like, we're like each other's story editors and writers all mixed up. And it's really like, it's just trying to always make it better or trying different things as well. Certainly with animal behavior, there was just different ways to do it. So the kind of opening and the way we introduced the ape and his attitude, because he was so central to the story, um, was so important that, that, you know, we just have different approaches and goes at that because, you know, you'd write something and you'd think, oh, he's not coming across very well. This isn't really feeling correct. So then one of us would have another go and you know, we keep swapping it over really until that seems about right doesn't it David uh, yes yes um you know I find that when I'm writing uh it's hard it's hard for me to to work when I feel someone sitting over my shoulder and some sometimes you know we bemoan the fact that we don't sit across a table and workshop ideas and bounce it off and make each other laugh. But it also can be very intimidating. So I kind of like to squirrel away and write what I'm going to write and then say, okay, I want you to see this and show it to Alice. And then she has her comments and, and, and maybe she'll take it over and do some rewriting or she'll just give me notes and I'll rewrite it. And the same thing happens and we'll give each other different sections. And, um, you know, people often want to kind of say, oh, who did what? But it's so collaborative. The only thing I can say about our filmmaking process that is very distinct is that Allison's the chief character designer because she's a much better artist than I am. But we both animate. We both write. I tend to be uh, the mouthpiece when we're directing, but we're both uh, like voice directing, that is. But we're both in there contributing. So I'm always looking to Allison saying, you happy with that? And she'll have a comment or whatever. But uh, mostly it's completely collaborative on virtually everything. You've both been working together uh, and collaborating for so long that I can only assume you've probably developed a sort of a sort of shorthand for communicating. And I'm curious what, uh, if anything, how that changes when you bring somebody new to the table into the mix when you're working on a new project. When when Allison winks at me a certain way, I know that it's time to bring her a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we really have a shorthand, do we? We always feel like we're reinventing the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> we've never quite you know that's why I think I could never teach either like some people just have it down they can tell everyone why they did everything they did and what they learned I just I'm always learning for the first time every bit of animation I it's just I don't know it's so, it feels kind of haphazard I don't 
I just feel it all out in a very organic way and I can't really tell you how or why I did (laughs) what I did in the end, but it seems to work. One of the reasons why we were interested in making a short film is because having worked in TV series, we hadn't actually done much in the way of animating our own characters and drawing um, because we'd work with a lot of very talented people that would do that drudgery for us, which was great. But I was kind of keen to get back to Um, you know, actually making characters move and controlling every nuance and every frame and uh, doing so digitally because now there's Cintiqs and uh, software. We use TV paint. And so it was drawn traditionally, but in using, uh, you know, uh, a a Cintiq. And um, we were kind of excited about exploring that technology instead of like the last time we made a short film was cell paint and paper and everything. And um, so that was a motivating factor. And, and we, we thought it would be much more efficient and much easier. And it was kind of the opposite. Well, I think that's because we were learning it and it was a more complicated film. But also think- because when you finish a scene digitally, it's, it can always be opened up and tweaked and made a change. With paper, you know, once you, you, you finish the scene and you test it, you think, yeah, that's good. You put the, the dope sheet around it and you mark it and you put it in the pile, done. And that's it. So with digital, you keep going, ah, oh, I just saw that. I just want to fix this little thing, you know. So the next thing you know, you've been working on that same scene for like three weeks. Exactly. I'm really curious because now you've done things both the traditional way and now the new sort of technical way, um, the modern way, I guess, with computers and everything else. And I'm curious uh, for yourselves, do you do you think that going forward you're going to stick with the new digital thing or do you prefer the old pen and paper and, uh, you know, you, once you finish the scene, you wrap it up and it's done? No, thank you. <laughs> no, the digital's better. I always say my favorite part about digital is the undo key. I can't do it. Like I get so used to when, you know, when you're doing animating a lot of stuff and you're hitting undo all the time. And I'm not kidding. I literally will be outside in real life and, and I'll like drop something and think if for a moment, if I can just hit undo, I won't have dropped that. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of um, working from home. You talked a little bit about uh, making animal behavior uh, from your home studio with a studio in in Montreal. Um, We're now in a time where most people or a lot of people are working from home. And I mean, the reality of it is that independent creators and independent filmmakers um, are often working from home part-time in their spare moments uh, from a computer in maybe their living room or their bedroom or wherever else. I'm curious... um, with everything that's going on and with the, 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 the way that the industry seems to be moving, what's your take and how do you feel moving forward about this whole um, working from home, working remotely, and how maybe the advances in technology are actually um, enhancing the experience and allowing everybody to be more creative? Well, it affords a lot of uh, opportunities for collaboration. It also, because the technology is so good at home, you know, you can do recording and, you know, we did a commercial last year where we did the whole thing at home, including they wanted us to sort of take care of sound effects and the final track and everything. So we just delivered the finished thing for them to use um, from home. And that was never possible years ago. You'd have to go to a post house and you'd have to do a mix and you'd have to, um, 
do use all kinds of other facilities to get the thing done. Um, not least of which was a camera, which you don't need anymore. Um, and the other thing is, is that you can collaborate long distance. So, you know, you get jobs or interests from anywhere in the world and you can just send those files. And on animal behavior, we're, we were working with people that were assisting us doing some coloring and tracing and other things. And uh, we sort of met them once at the beginning and then we never saw them again, which isn't a nice thing because they're nice people. But um, basically, everything would be you know, here's here's the scene in, in the shared Dropbox folder. And if we had some notes, we would email them or whatever. And it was very efficient. Uh, and that, that, you know, that affords great opportunity for collaboration, but it also, it can be a little lonely too. <laughs> but we have each other. One of the things that we haven't talked about, but that I think is really... Um... Uh, maybe not curious would be the right word, but uh, something that I'm always, I'm personally really always curious about is the fact that, um, I mean, you guys are major animators. You're very well respected. You've been in the industry for a very long time. You've won numerous awards. You've won an Oscar, been nominated numerous times. And I know that you did a panel on this um, last year at Spark Animation or just before Spark Animation uh, about the process of the Oscar race. And that's always something that, you know, for those of us that are on the outside feels like this very sort of mystical thing because so few people partake in it at any any given time on any given year and when you get to the end of the race let's say it's a really bad sports analogy but um you know there's so few people in that in that in that group that it does feel like something that's very kind of um i don't know mysterious i was wondering if you could like sort of take us behind the scenes of what that looks like what does it look like to to be in like the oscar race and how do you get there well you have to enter the film to start with and qualify, um, you know, by winning prizes at certain festivals. And um, do you mean do you mean, by the way, the Oscars in, in specific or festivals generally? Yeah, I was really thinking about the Oscars because it's this very sort of prestigious thing that um, you've been a part of more than once. And I, it, I'm just really curious about what that looks like and what the road to the Oscars look like and what it feels like to like be there. I feel very fortunate that it's worked out. Um, you know, in outside of the Oscars, we've made all our films have gone to festivals. They've also all been rejected by festivals. So it's not like a cakewalk of complete success. Uh, animal behavior was at Annecy. It wasn't accepted at Ottawa. It was at Zagreb. It wasn't accepted at Hiroshima. It won the Grand Prix at in um, Brazil. And, um, you know, we're, we're very proud of the success it's had. It's had a lot of uh, audience awards as well. And uh, we tend to make approachable films and we tend to make films that are funny and that makes it <laughs> easier the oscars like funny um and so that's worked out for us well and they like funny or emotional films you know that's true because i say films that, that get a reaction but all the kind. nominees this year are yeah, all very, sad. very sad about dementia and about divorce and about uh all kinds of sad things <laughs> so ours was the only stupid film 
I certainly wouldn't call it a stupid film, but that you bring up a really excellent point, and that's this idea of rejection. Um, and it's great to know that everybody suffers through rejection. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit of how you personally deal with rejection. You know, as a, as a young filmmaker or a filmmaker starting out, a lot of the time you do get a lot of rejection. So how how do you guys deal with being rejected? Uh, well, it's always very disappointing, especially early in your career, because you're counting on that to motivate you to keep going. So if you've spent uh, a year or so uh, making this personal film, putting so much into it and hope to then get a rejection from a, ma- a major festival or one you're counting on is awful. You know, it feels like because you're hoping to go there so that you can enjoy it being screened as well. Like how often do you see a film on a big screen with a big audience? Um, really not, you don't really very often at all. So that whole experience is, is why why you want to make a film. So it, it is really disappointing. And um, it's still disappointing for us now, but it was more so at the very beginning. I wanted to finish off on a a positive note. It's a question that I always like to ask. And that is, if you were to meet younger versions of yourself, if you were to meet young David and young Allison early on in their careers, maybe even as before you were going into film school or just after graduation, what advice would you give the young version of yourselves? Um, Get a better haircut. Uh, I think I would would say... um, you know, I, I, this is something that I often say to young uh, filmmakers. Really uh, do what is passionate to you. Make films um, that speak to your own um, values and, and have some kind of a message or something to say that aren't just about illustrating a technique. Um, even the most simple form of a story or an idea that is either funny or moving, um, really uh, that has a point touches of view people. That's, that's look, look, I always think, you know, I see certain films sometimes that you think that's, that's a good example of that. And one of them was last year's uh, prize winner at Spark, of course, Sister, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a first film and it's not technically overdone. It's quite simple, but it has a moving, uh, emotional and and very personal, real story. And that's what gets people. That or a really funny joke. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> but and also, you know, reference. You know, don't limit um, the amount of films you see. Like, see what's being made. And then you, then you can look at films and think, that really, I love that. That's really inspiring. And, you know, it's use that to kind of inform what, what the kind of film you want to make. And so, so what I would say to, to us uh, is don't give up on, on trying to do your own personal work and try to make a living at the same time, but don't be subsumed in to career to the extent that you never do your own personal thing, because that's, it's so incredible really to, create something that gets out there and you watch an audience react to it um, there's just nothing like it and when we've had the pleasure of seeing like animal behavior at festivals get a big reaction it's uh it's staggering really it's it's just amazing so we're 
we're very proud of being able to have that opportunity. And you don't get that unless you really stick to what you believe in. And that was our conversation with Alison Snowden and David Fine. You can watch their latest film, Animal Behavior, on the National Film Board of Canada website. Just do a search for animal behavior at nfb.ca. The Spark Podcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org. We'll be back with another episode of the podcast in two weeks' time.